Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. To go where too few have gone before. A production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net, which is my coaching website, the webalchemist.net, which is my WordPress web development website, empoweredmanifestation.com, where you can find my book, Empowered Manifestation. On Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, and on Twitter, at Coach Jan Shaw. I am looking at moving to different platforms. I've said this before, I haven't quite got there yet, but anyway. So today is the 15th of January, 2022, and the title of today's show is Wartime Presidency, January 6th Truth, Plandemic is Failing, and Prince Andrew, Persona Non Grata. So a very interesting week, and there's so much happening that I just do not have time to cover all of it in one in a one-hour show. So this was something that was shared by And We Know on their daily video. I really like following And We Know and X22 reports, you probably know. So I took a screen capture, and it's from a, I believe, a telegram post by Just Human. And I think this was put out yesterday because it was in And We Know's latest um, video, maybe the 14th. Yeah, yesterday was the 14th. Okay, so he says, to recap today, Biden's mandate is dead, although part of it is still alive, which I'm going to cover later. Dems voting bill is dead on arrival in Senate. Manchin and Sinema won't vote to alter filibuster rules. Oath Keepers indicted for January 6th, Trump team effectively cleared. Maxwell gives up fight to conceal John Doe's. January 6th committee subpoenas Alphabet, Meta, Reddit and Twitter. Congress members seek more documents re-COVID origins. Dr. Malone reveals consultation with DOD JAGs. I'm not sure what JAGs is. Soros attorney in Maryland indicted. Prince Andrew stripped of patronages. Zuckerberg court ordered to be deposed. Massive lawsuit. Did I miss anything? What a day. So it's really highlighting all the big fails that the Biden administration is facing or has faced. So I'm going to start with the wartime presidency. And I actually did cover the first three of these reports in a previous show. And I've just checked my files and it was actually on the 18th of December last year that I covered this. And you can find the whole series on slagfa, S-L-A-G-F-A dot substack dot com. And as I say, this is part four and titled Nuremberg 2.0. And it was actually published January the 10th. 
We've come to the end of our article series. We've discussed a possibility of what happened during the election and how President Trump has been operating a government in exile. We've talked about how, how he might return to the White House. But there's a final piece we haven't discussed. After Trump returns to the White House, then what? How do we right the wrongs per- perpetrated against the people of the United States and the world? These are big questions. This article will deal with the historical context, what happened after World War II, the modern medical parallels to Nazi Germany, and what we might expect to happen this time around. I thank you for sticking with me through this series. How do you solve a problem like war crimes? Washington, D.C., May 1945. In the closing days of World War II, right before the Red Army overran Berlin, President Truman had a promise to keep. The promise was made at the Moscow Conference on October 30, 1943. The United States, Great Britain and the Soviet Union agreed that they would hold the leaders of the Nazi regime and the leaders of the German military responsible for the crimes and atrocities committed by Nazi Germany during the war. To keep this promise made by the United Nations, Truman appointed Associate Supreme Court Justice Robert H. Jackson to represent the United States of America as Chief Prosecutor in the coming trials of the Nazi regime. As he met with his counterparts from Great Britain, France and the Soviet Union, it quickly became clear that the Russians had a very different understanding of what justice should look like. While Jackson thought the trial should be modelled after the US Constitution and its instructions to the state as how to carry out justice and administrate trials, the Russians wanted to display the accused, conduct a show trial, and then when that trial was complete take the accused behind the courthouse and shoot them, which to me sounds like typical communist um, injustice. Uh, Jackson wrote to President Truman in a public letter that eloquently said the following. One, we may follow what was done historically and recognise that the power to make war is the prerogative of kings and we may capture treasure from Germany but allow the heads of state to go free. Two, we may do what the human condition cries out for when presented with the atrocities committed by Germany and line all the Nazis up and shoot them one by one. You, Mr. President, may do so if you wish, and if you choose to do so, you do not need me to help you with this task, but it's my belief that our grandchildren will not look upon that act fondly in the years to come. Three, we may conduct a fair trial and put the Nazi institutions on trial along with the high-ranking officials. President Truman chose path number three and Jackson got to work. In the summer of 1945 in London, he was able to convince the Soviets that option three was the correct course of action as well. The city of Nuremberg was chosen primarily because it was in the American sector of occupied Germany and that it had a suitable courthouse with attached detention facilities. A secondary reason Nuremberg was chosen is that the city was the birthplace of the Nazi party. The marches, the fiery speeches by Adolf Hitler, the portrayal of Nazis on the march and book burning in films, these events took place at Nuremberg. On November 20th, 1945, the Nuremberg trials began. 
up first were the trials of 23 individuals and seven Nazi organisations. Later, German physicians were put on trial, the infamous doctor's trial, where the world learned of the ghastly medical experiments performed on human prisoners, as were German industrialists and their corporations. Most were found guilty, although there were a handful of acquittals. In all, just shy of 300 defendants were tried at Nuremberg. These trials went on from 1945 to 1949, when the Cold War started. Lessons from Nuremberg. The record left behind, that's number one. The decision to follow a legal process that had the tenets of the Constitution at its core was incredibly important. And it's got a picture of the, um, the seal of the International Military Tribunal Nuremberg, Volume 6, January 22nd, 1946 to February 4th, 1946. This process produced a 23-volume record of transcripts of the trial as well as additional volumes of evidence used in the trial. This record forever eliminated the possibility that a future generation could declare that the Holocaust was a hoax. The trial and the hurdle of proof beyond a reasonable doubt produced that record and preserved it for posterity. That record is the primary reason for following this process where the risk exists that a guilty person might escape justice. If the Allies followed the model that the Soviets suggested, immediate justice would be served, but the record would never have been written and it would complicate bringing Nazi co-conspirators to justice years, even decades, after the Nuremberg trials. That's a lesson for us today. We cannot pass by the opportunity to record exactly what happened and who was responsible. This was not only put into practice at Nuremberg, but was later used when the Israeli Mossad found and extradited Adolf Eichmann from Argentina to stand trial in Israel on April 11, 1961. And it's got an image of that trial. And there's two red arrows pointing to a set of books, it looks like, on the prosecutor's tables. And it says, look at the above photo of the prosecutor's table. Do you see the books indicated by the arrows? Those are volumes of the Nuremberg record. If we had agreed to follow what the Soviet Union suggested, a show trial and summary execution, this one chance to record the trial and amass evidence of Nazi war crimes would have been lost forever. This is a critical lesson of Nuremberg that we must not forget. Number two, trials of organisations. The decision to put Nazi organisations on trial was a stroke of genius. In all, seven organisations, the Nazi Party, the Reich Cabinet, the Schutzstaffel SS, a division of the SS, the Totenkopfverband, or Death's Head Units, ran the concentration and extermination camps, Still another provided slave labour from these facilities to German industry. Others served as crack troops intermixed with the German army, but they were separate from the Wehrmacht. The Scheerheitsdienst. I have to say I'm not a German <laughs> language expert, so I'm hoping I'm getting these um, pronunciations right. SD, or Nazi intelligence, it also ran the Einsatzgruppen, 
or killing squads that took Jewish people and POWs into secluded areas and shot them. I'm sure you've seen photos of Nazi troops shooting civilians and letting their bodies fall into a mass grave. These were the Einsatzgruppen troops. The Strumabteilung SA, this was the paramilitary wing of the Nazi party, also known as the Brown Shirts. The Gestapo, Nazi secret police and the general staff and German high command were put on trial. There were several reasons for this. Number one, it streamlined the trials of individuals as the prosecution did not have to relitigate the reasons the organisation the defendant worked for was guilty. It was already a matter of court record and precedent. Number two, it removed the possibility of I was just following orders or it was legal at the time or I was acting in the best interests of my nation in time of war, same as you, from being used by the defendants as a legitimate defence. You will notice that the common defences were, number one, ignorance. I was far away from the front lines. I didn't know how bad it was. Or this was a different department. I just ran accounting. Two, shifting blame. Underlings behaved badly or the allies did the same thing. Three, marginalising one's role. I was just a junior manager. My supervisor, who is conveniently dead, made all these decisions. Four, some capitulated and threw themselves on the mercy of the court. Most of these defendants got lengthy prison terms and were not sent to the gallows. Five, others proudly declared their involvement. One example was Hans Fritsch, who was an arch-criminal found by the Red Army. In truth, he was an underling and not involved in anything serious. He was one of the three acquittals. Another who proudly declared their involvement was Rudolf Hess, who was determined by the court to be incompetent due to suspected insanity, but pleaded with the court to stand trial anyway. He was given life in prison and hanged himself in his cell in 1987 under suspicious circumstances. Defences used were not the former common defences mentioned above, putting the organisations on trial and finding them guilty got in front of that problem. 1. By prosecuting these seven organisations and proving them to be criminal enterprises, the prosecution could use the same technique used to prosecute the mob in America, criminal conspiracy. In fact, one of the prosecutors on Jackson's team was Colonel John Harlan Eamon, who was an assistant district attorney in Brooklyn in the 1930s and successfully put away organised crime members, the infamous Murder Incorporated cases. Number three, division of prosecutorial efforts. It's a common misconception that Nuremberg netted all of the Nazis and they were tried there. Nuremberg handled the Nazi leadership and the doctors and industrialists that were involved in the concentration and extermination camp system. Nuremberg dealt with international concerns about crimes against humanity and aggressive war-making. Plenty of individual Nazis were discovered, arrested and tried in the country where their crimes occurred. The best example of this was Rudolf Hirsch, Hirsch was the commandant of Auschwitz. He was not tried at Nuremberg. He was tried in Poland because that's where Auschwitz was. 
Hirsch was found guilty of his crimes and was hanged behind the very villa where he lived with his family, just outside the Auschwitz camp fence. Reminds me of the movie The Boy in Striped Pyjamas. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's a really sad story about this boy who's the son of the commandant, the um, concentration camp commandant, who makes friends with a Jewish boy behind the fence where he is incarcerated, obviously. And I don't want to give away the plot, but um, it's the height of irony, the outcome. So it might be worth watching that. Number four, the problem of a monopoly. Not all Nazi party members were these arch criminals involved in the slaughter of millions of people. Many Germans became Nazi party members because the Nazi party was the way to advancement within Germany between 1933 and 1945. That's an important lesson. Affiliation with an evil organisation doesn't necessarily mean that the individual is evil as well. This is yet another critical reason for a fair trial. If we followed the model the Soviets suggested, it's very possible that Nazis that were not involved with genocide would have been executed. A fair trial prevents a wholesale slaughter. 5. Someone's not dead until you see the body. Sometimes suicides are used to cover an escape. After all, if the authorities believe a person is dead, they concentrate resources elsewhere. The classic example of this is Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann was wanted by the Allies for being the architect of the extermination camps. But reports from the last people to see him alive described him as wandering off into the woods, dazed. He was never heard from or seen again. At the time, the Allies believed he took a cyanide capsule or shot himself and the body was never found. In truth, he escaped to Argentina and worked there with his sons until he was discovered by Mossad agents in 1960. Israel found him guilty and hanged him for his crimes in 1962. The lesson here is that an assumed suicide is just that, an assumption. Many people will try to fake their own death to escape prosecution. And that makes you think about the number of so-called suicides that we've seen happen over the last few years, doesn't it? Including Epstein. Six, the Nuremberg Code of Medical Ethics. Nazi doctors were responsible for ghastly human experiments that caused horrendous pain and suffering, as well as death in many, many cases. One thing that came out of the Nuremberg trials was the Nuremberg Code of Medical Ethics. It's critical we grasp how serious this was to the field of medicine. The Hippocratic Code, the oath, was written down 2,200 years prior to World War II, and this was the first occasion in all that time that the world saw a need to amend it to codify the ethical treatment of human beings who choose to be the subject of a medical experiment. Highlights of the Nuremberg Code of 1947. Voluntary consent from the subject is essential. This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should be so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion, 
and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to enable him to make an understanding and enlightened decision. This latter element requires that before the acceptance of an affirmative decision by the experimental subject, there should be made known to him the nature, duration and purpose of the experiment, the method and means by which it is to be conducted, all inconveniences and hazards reasonably to be expected, and the effects upon his health or person which may possibly come from his participation in the experiment. Um, somebody posted on Twitter, I think it was, saying um, the inserts of the vac- so-called vaccines had printed on them intentionally left blank. That hardly provides information that enables somebody to make an informed decision, does it? Anyway, continuing. Experiments should yield a fruitful outcome. The experiment should be such as to yield fruitful results for the good of society, unprocurable by other methods or means of study, and not random and unnecessary in nature. Experiments shall be validated on animals prior to human trials. The experiment should be so designed and based on the results of animal experimentation and a knowledge of the natural history of the disease or other problem under study that the anticipated results will justify the performance of the experiment. Experiments shall avoid suffering and injury. The experiment should be so conducted as to avoid all unnecessary physical and mental suffering and injury. Note here that the Nuremberg Code protects experimental subjects from mental suffering, although mental suffering and illness meant something different in 1947. No experiment should be conducted where there is an a priori reason to believe that death or disabling injury will occur, except perhaps in those experiments where the experimental physicians also serve as subjects. That's interesting. The risk to the subject must be balanced with the expected benefits of the experiment. For example, if the risk to the subject is high, the benefit to the subject must also be high. The experiment must occur in a facility with adequate capability to care for the subject, and the facility must also support safety of the subject. Specifically, proper preparation should be made and adequate facilities provided to protect the experimental subject against even remote possibilities of injury, disability or death. The experiment should be conducted only by scientifically qualified persons. The highest degree of skill and care should be required through all stages of the experiment of those who conduct or engage in the experiment. During the course of the experiment, the human subject should be at liberty to bring the experiment to an end if he has reached the physical or mental state where continuation of the experiment seems to him to be impossible. Note here that the call to terminate the experiment lies with the subject, regardless of what the data shows or what the scientist believes. If the subject wants to stop, the experiment is over. During the course of the experiment, the scientist in charge must be prepared to terminate the experiment at any stage if he has probable cause to believe in the exercise of the good faith, superior skill and careful judgment required of him that a continuation of the experiment is likely to result in injury, disability or death 
to the experimental subject. Ask yourselves, have any of these principles been violated by governments, public health departments, drug companies, employers and medical institutions during the COVID hysteria? You bet they have. Dr. Robert Malone was booted from Twitter for making this very point. And it's a tweet from Jack Posobiec. Wow, wow, wow. And it includes another tweet by Myth-Informed MKE. On Joe Rogan, Dr. Robert Malone indicts our government's response to COVID. In quotes, they are lawless. They completely disregard bioethics. They've broken all the rules that I know that I've been trained on for years. And that was January 1st this year. I ended our study of the Nuremberg trial with this for a reason, because there's a final lesson of Nuremberg that was not learned the first time. Right after Nuremberg and in the decades following, the code of ethics that was a product of the trials was not taught in medical schools. Why not? The field of medicine regarded the Nuremberg Code as a means to police barbarians. It wasn't intended to be used to keep real, that's in quotes, doctors honest. Real doctors would never engage in such reckless or cruel behaviour, right? Right? The evidence revealed over the last two years brings that supposition under serious cross-examination. I'm not saying all doctors are bad, far from it. There have been doctors during the pandemic who have conducted themselves with the highest integrity and held their actions to the finest ethical standards. What I am saying is that the field of medicine failed to learn a critical lesson from Nuremberg, and by the time the field actually began teaching lessons learned from Nuremberg in ethics classes, early 2000s, two generations of doctors had gone through medical school with no such opportunity. And that's been a mistake that the pandemic has exposed. Now envision an environment where the following is true. Doctors have a serious financial stake in keeping their jobs, student loans, a comfortable lifestyle, respect of colleagues, etc. Doctors are told by their medical boards that issue licenses to practice that they will say and do, fill in the blank, regarding covid Alternative methods of treatment are suppressed by social media, where most Americans get their news. Alternative methods of treatment are banned by state medical boards and politicians in issuing executive orders. How many doctors have the moral fortitude to stand up to all this and say no, risk their own financial and professional future to do what is right for their patient? And it's got an image of these farcical things that we saw on social media of um, nurses and a, whether it's a doctor, I don't know, dancing out in the street somewhere or in a parking lot. Um, just belies the whole um, propaganda about the so-called pandemic. I'd say not many. Now I use history as a guide, a gauge for measuring human response to stimuli and to predict behaviour. In Nazi Germany, long before anyone thought up the SS Totenkopfverband and the extermination camps, German doctors were already killing their patients. Remember what I said about Nazi feelings towards those patients with lives not worth living? 
At the beginning of World War II in 1939, there was a wholesale sterilization and euthanasia program already underway within Germany's hospital system. Not many people know this, but it's important. Would it surprise you to know that right at the dawn of World War II, the German hospital system had set up and begun the targeted extermination of physically and mentally disabled patients under its care. They started with infants, moved on to children under three, then on to teenagers and finally adults. Those targeted for euthanasia were patients with physical disabilities, patients with neurological disorders, patients with Down syndrome, patients with schizophrenia, patients with various mental illness, something as simple as chronic depression, later those deemed not fit for society, i.e. Jews, gypsies, criminals and others. This group of people was later rotated out of the euthanasia program and into the extermination camp system. Here are Adolf Hitler's own words, and it's obviously in German, um, translated as Reich leader Bohler and Dr. Brandt are charged with the responsibility to extend the powers of specific doctors in such a way that after the most careful assessment of their condition, those suffering from illnesses deemed to be incurable may be granted a mercy death. Adolf Hitler, September 1st, 1939, in brackets backdated. Who were Buhler and Dr. Brandt? Philip Buhler was the Führer Chancellery Director. This was like a private government administration within the Nazi state that administered Hitler's affairs. Dr. Karl Brandt was Adolf Hitler's personal physician, a rock star doctor, if you will. Buhler and Brandt were the architects of the Nazi euthanasia program, but they didn't act alone. Hundreds of medical professionals were involved. Doctors, even ones highly regarded, signed off on the determination that a patient suffered from an incurable disease and approved that patient's mercy death. Other doctors had to administer a lethal dose of drugs to an infant or child. Nurses had to hold the infants while they died or left them outside on a cold night. Bus drivers were needed to transport patients to one of six euthanasia facilities. Orderlies were needed to move patients around the facility and were needed to move the bodies to the crematorium. The Nazis' success in turning ordinary people into inhuman monsters was distributing the task of institutionalised murder to the point where no one person was the executioner. It took dozens of people to do that. Any one individual was simply a cog in the machine. The programme started with lethal injections or the intentional neglect of patients, letting them die from exposure or from starvation. But that form of euthanasia was too difficult on the medical staff, you see. And it's got an image of what looks like a shower room with the black and white checkered floor. That's interesting. That's very much an Illuminati symbol. Another method was needed to euthanise patients without causing alarm. So specially designed gas chambers designed as shower facilities were constructed and used with cremation facilities built nearby to dispose of the bodies. What? What? You thought the gas chambers and cremation ovens at Auschwitz-Birkenau, Chelmno, Belzec, Sobibor, 
Treblinka and Maginek were the original idea of some maniac SS colonel. Um, they've also missed out Belsen, which is was a horrific place as well. No, they were invented and perfected by doctors and medical staff. That same staff oversaw and provided technical support for the execution camps constructed later. Take a look. And it's got an image of the gas chamber at Hadamar Euthanasia Centre, which is the one that was shown um, above, and it's got the chequered floor. And then a gas chamber at Auschwitz, which is very different, just horrible concrete walls and things. Other than paint and tile, these execution chambers could be at the same place. By the end of the war, an estimated 250,000 German patients were murdered by their physicians. That's in addition to the millions killed in the extermination camps. What mustn't we forget about the Nazi contamination of medicine? We mustn't forget that rigorous, inviolate ethical standards must cover all medical procedures and all medical experimentation. Also, we must not forget what happens when absolute power is concentrated in the hands of an educated elite with propaganda masquerading as ethics, which brings us to the Devil's Playground, the Nazi infiltration of the field of medicine. The worst kind of evil is perpetuated by an educated man exerting the full power of the state against the common man in a futile effort to make the common man's life better. Most of the blood spilled in the 20th century claims that previous statement as motive. The horrors of the Nazi regime and the atrocities they committed in the death camps came out during the infamous doctor's trials at Nuremberg. Popular culture, and indirectly the medical field as well, would have you believe that Nazi doctors were homicidal maniacs, but there were only a few, and those few doctors and their barbarism was confined to places like Auschwitz and Sobibor. That supposition is very wrong. Nazi doctors were respected professionals within the medical community. Before 1945-46, when the world learned of the horrors of the extermination camps, Germany was the top country for the study of medicine. Germany led the world in the quality of medical schools and every student attending those schools was required to take a course on medical ethics. The question is, if German educated doctors were required to take an ethics course and then went on to perform these, those barbaric medical experiments and participate, what the hell did they learn in those ethics classes? They learned Nazi propaganda, of course. They learned German doctors were physicians to their patients, yes, but first and foremost, they were physicians to the state. And, according to the Nazis, the state was sick through racial impurity. Medical students were taught they were biological soldiers. German doctors should support the racist Nuremberg laws that imposed punitive sanctions against non-Aryan people. German doctors should support sterilisation laws that kept non-desirable people from having children through forced sterilisation procedures. German doctors should support euthanasia programmes that would end the needless suffering of people who had lives, in quotes, not worth living. If that doesn't chill your blood, I don't know what will. 
hundreds of thousands of German citizens were murdered by their doctors years prior to the Holocaust. Lastly, German doctors should support a utilitarian view of medical experimentation. This clown show of an ethics class had its source in the practice of eugenics. Eugenics takes the theory of evolution and expands on it with the following supposition. If nature takes thousands or millions of years to evolve a species, could we not intervene in the process and speed it up by first identifying good genes and bad genes and then breeding the good ones to create a super race of human beings? All of the evils of the Holocaust came from this prideful idea that humanity can somehow improve itself through the intentional suppression of certain races and the encouragement of others. In essence, humanity is trying to play the role of God. Remember Lucifer's fall? What was his sin? It was pride. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground? which disweaken the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Isaiah fourteen, twelve to 15 and it's the King James Version. Pride captivated a nation and an ideology, and in so doing, pride let the demons out to play upon the earth. Here they are at work, two Nazi doctors, and there is an image above this. The man you see standing is Dr. Ottmar Freyer von Verschuer, a leader in his field of genetics and human biology. He was the director of many top German medical institutions, his interest in study was the science of genetics, particularly twinning. However, there's another doctor in this photograph. Look at the man circled in red. Do you recognize him? How about now? And it shows a bigger photograph. That's Joseph Mengele, a student of Dr. Verschuer. We know him today as the Nazi doctor that experimented on children, particularly twins, at Auschwitz. Doctors always played a central part of the Nazi rise to power. Hitler himself proclaimed, You, you national socialist doctors, I cannot do without you for a single day, not a single hour. If not for you, if you fail me, then all is lost. Eerily similar, isn't it? Governments seeking the support of doctors to provide cover for their liberty-stealing policies. Governments rolling out a prime star, a rock star doctor, if you will, to educate the public about how tyrannical policies are really for their own good. Governments potentially even making decisions about letting those with lives not worth living to die from COVID, the elderly, the unhealthy, etc. Doctors pushing universal vaccination, even when there's evidence that these vaccines are hurting more people than they're helping. We've crossed a line and some doctors are serving a political mission instead of a medical one. Medical tyranny is not a new thing. The Nazis turn this method of control into an art form and they're trying to do it again on a global scale. Now, before we do anything rash, let me say this. 
doctors, even doctors pushing vaccination, are not necessarily reincarnated Nazis. Remember that they may be victims of their circumstances in this pandemic, just like you and I. What I am saying is the ground is fertile for the poisonous plant of betterment of the human race through selective medical intervention to sprout up and choke us all in its vines. I get very worried when I hear politicians talk like this. And this is a tweet from Bloomberg Asia. Biden warns that unvaccinated Americans face winter of severe illness and death. And so, too, when I hear doctors talking like this, and this is from The View, doctors refusing to treat the unvaccinated with COVID-19 cases climbing in several states. Some doctors are speaking out to say they'll refuse treatment for people who choose not to get the vaccine. The co-hosts and guest co-hosts at Maya B. Love discuss, and it's got a short video there, and so, too, when I hear elites and celebrities talking like this, and this is a tweet from David Frum, at Hotline Josh seems the best option is keep encouraging vaccines and boosters, impose vaccine mandates where it can be done, otherwise, otherwise return to normal as fully as we can, especially the schools, and let hospitals quietly triage emergency care to serve the unvaccinated last. That was December 12th last year. George Takai, who, of course, was one of the stars of Star Trek. The willfully unvaccinated who wind up in hospitals from COVID should not receive priority medical care over other very sick or injured people who are as much in urgent need of medical care. August 13th, 2021. What is this? Are some people actually trying to separate all of humanity into the vaccinated and the unvaccinated? Isn't that what the Nazis tried with their obsession with racial purity? At what point does a doctor make a decision about a patient having a life not worth living? Does that doctor grant his patient a mercy death once he learns his patient is unvaccinated? Do you see how dangerous this COVID hysteria is? The evil SS token cop verband doctors were unmatched in their cruelty. But what's much more troubling is the fact that German medicine as an institution bought into the industrialised murder of disabled and mentally ill patients under their care. As I said earlier, the Nazis said that Germany was sick and doctors were the cure. In 2020, we had doctors that were being told that the whole world was sick and doctors were soldiers on the front lines. Remember that? The hairs on the back of my neck went up when I learned German doctors were told the same thing by the Nazis in the late 1930s. These parallels between the Covid hysteria and racial purity in Nazi Germany are far too similar to ignore. What parallel year is 2022? I'd say it's late 1938, early 1939. All that's needed is a little push and a charismatic leader. I'd be terrified if things weren't going so badly for the modern neo-fascists. What might we expect today? To answer this question, I'm going to break it up into a few parts. When will the trial occur? Where might it occur? Who might be targeted for prosecution? When will the trials occur? I cannot point at a calendar and tell you for sure. 
What I can tell you is that when China is no longer a military, economic or strategic threat to the United States, when the suspected truth about the Democratic Party is fully exposed and their believed criminal activity laid bare, when the time is ripe for Trump to end the presidency in exile and return to power, that's the time when I think a dragnet from sea to shining sea will go up. Remember what I said in part one, that the invasion of the United States was fifth-generation warfare and as such had no holding force? This will be different. You will need a holding force to close down the United States and arrest the enemy agents within. I predict that there will be U.S. Special Forces, USSOF, teams in all major cities and also tasked for specific locations where VIPs may be hiding. All of this will be coordinated by U.S. Space Force. And it's got an image of a number of helicopters flying down a street. Um, don't know what the location is, but how do I know? Because U.S. SOF has been doing dry runs of this mission for quite some time now. Take a look. And it's got a link to Army training helicopters. What did the military say this was? Training. Sure, but training for what? This was the 160th Special Operations Aerial Regiment, SOAR, and that means Green Berets and Delta Force. This looks like a midnight raid to snatch up a VIP. Remember this scene from Black Hawk Down? And it's got a, a clip from a video of the movie Black Hawk Down where they arrest... Um, uh, I think it's one of the leaders in Libya, I think it is. Yeah, that was with 160th Saw and Delta II. Anyone remember this? Justin L. Hunt. Unidentifiable militarised agents are policing Portland, arresting people and putting them in unmarked vehicles. Just because it left the timeline doesn't mean the fight is over. That was July 17, 2020. U.S. Marshals were snatching Antifa off the streets in Portland, tossing them in unmarked vans and driving them to replace the question mark with detainment facility and you'll see the parallels. I don't expect this dragnet to last weeks and weeks. It will be a few days at most. Why only a few days? Because Space Force already knows where all the bad guys are. And Dong Jingwei brought the list of who the bad guys are and exactly what they've done. This is the Chinese person who supposedly defected and it was mentioned in one of the earlier articles. I really thought that the field hospitals erected by the US military in 2020 were in fact temporary detainment stroke processing facilities. That turned out not to be true. Will we see this again? Perhaps, but it's not necessary. There's more than enough space at military bases and on naval ships offshore. If we take Nuremberg as an example, we might see the following. Germany fell. Dragnet in the US goes up. Allied forces scour Germany for months, looking for Nazis. US Space Force conducts midnight raids on the most dangerous sub suspects. Law enforcement handles the rest. This will take a few days, at most a week. Prominent Nazis fake their own deaths. Expect many stories of suicides during these few days. Some will be real, others will be fabrications. 
Nuremberg was chosen, evidence was amassed and the trial began. I think a venue has already been chosen and I know all the evidence is there. Dong Jingwei. It won't take long to start the trials. Nuremberg trials lasted from 1945 to 1949. I expect the trial process for this to take at least that long, possibly more. Where will the trials occur? In Nuremberg, one of the things they did was to try organisations and the top officials at Nuremberg itself, but plenty of other Nazis and war criminals were tried at the location where their crime occurred. We will get to this in a minute, but we are looking at a significant number of people who are at risk for prosecution. The trial process will have to be diversified between military tribunals and civilian courts, and even then it will take years. I think it's reasonable to expect that politicians, industrialists, doctors, scientists, US citizens that committed treason, people who are accused of crimes against humanity and criminal organisations, in other words, the worst of the worst, will be tried in a centralised location just like Nuremberg. Offences like election fraud, political terrorism, civil rights violations and any other crime that had a venue will likely take place in a civilian court having jurisdiction over the place that crime occurred. A likely venue for the military tribunals is the place where many of you already suspect. Guantanamo Bay, Cuba At current project schedules, the new courthouse under construction will be complete by mid-2023. Is that date noteworthy? Probably not. Construction schedules can always be accelerated if the courthouse is needed sooner. Right now, there are only 39 prisoners at the prison complex. They've got one courthouse and a second is under construction. Does that seem odd to you? Why expand the courthouse? This is a classic indicator. What the military is doing at Guantanamo makes no sense, unless they are expecting a whole lot more prisoners soon. Here's another piece of information. The prison complex held 780 prisoners at one time. Do you know how many were tried there for crimes? 16. The vast majority of prisoners were captured, held for up to a decade, and then released with no charges filed. Nobody gets tried at Guantanamo. You've got to have done something very bad to earn yourself a trial there. Again, I ask, why is a second courthouse needed? Unless the military is planning on hosting an extensive battery of tribunals, a second courthouse facility simply isn't needed, and building one makes zero sense. Right now, there's one courthouse, and the facility has held as many as 780 prisoners. The facility has been expanded from that peak and can likely hold more. Right now, there are seven detention camps that make up the prison complex. Oh, and those courthouses? They're all equipped with television cameras set on a 40-second delay so that military sensors can mute the feed if something classified is mentioned. Exactly what you would need if we hold trials for the origins of COVID and individuals' conduct during the pandemic. Guantanamo Bay is the land of contradictions, which is why I think it's the most likely site for a second Nuremberg trial. Even money as to if the trials held there are military tribunals or some form of international court. If the defendants are US persons, I'd say it's going to be a US military tribunal. 
If the governments of the world elect to send their arch-criminals to Cuba, you will know the trials will be of the international sort, emerging of different legal systems and overseen by the joint military forces with the assistance of civilians. Who's in trouble? Who is in danger of being prosecuted? We cannot know at the moment who is in the crosshairs. We have suspicions, sure, but those suspicions are merely guesses. I refuse to name anyone specific here because in some cases I will be accusing a person of being so evil they've lost their humanity. I cannot do that without evidence. I will, however, suggest crimes. Anyone who suppressed therapeutics, especially after data became available that therapeutic regimens were working at helping patients recover from COVID. Anyone who suppressed opinions that departed from the official narrative especially where those opinions might have saved lives. Anyone who willingly faked COVID case numbers or death counts. If COVID was engineered, anyone who funded or worked on gain-of-function research. If COVID was engineered, anyone who worked on crossover potential. If COVID was intentionally released, anyone involved in the release or planning of the release. If COVID was engineered, anyone outside of China who funded the research. If the intentional release of COVID were made known prior to the release, anyone who knew about this and tried to engineer a political outcome. Anyone who gave orders or drafted policy that caused intentional harm for political reasons. Anyone who committed treason. Anyone who gave orders or drafted policy that went against known quarantine or containment protocols. Anyone who required employees to get an experimental vaccine in order to work. Anyone who required people to get an experimental vaccine in order to travel freely. Anyone who required people to get an experimental vaccine in order to engage in commerce. Anyone who required people to get an experimental vaccine in order to enjoy universal freedoms that were theirs prior to the pandemic. Anyone who is part of a paramilitary arm of a political party. Anyone who experimented on human subjects without disclosing all facts about the experiment. Anyone who lied about side effects of the vaccine. If the vaccine was intended to harm people, anyone involved in its development or funding. Anyone who tried to cover up or suppress information about vaccine side effects and injuries. Anyone who coerced or forced another person to get vaccinated or else suffer consequences or harm. We call this duress. This is a big list that will net thousands of defendants. This is why I said the trials for COVID need to be diversified. The volume is so staggering that this would take decades to complete at Guantanamo Bay. Hope for those who live in blue states. I've heard it suggested that once this is over, the US will have a relatively weak federal government and powerful states all living within the rules of the Constitution. The suggestion is then put forth that if you're a conservative living in a blue state, it behooves you to escape now. Once all this is over, the state government will have a lot more power than they do now and the federal government will not be able to help you much. I agree with some of that, but I see a few issues with that line of thinking. One, are you so sure that the Democratic Party will emerge from this storm intact? 
Two, in states where public health departments or governors forced COVID-positive patients into nursing homes, assisted living facilities and hospices with no regard for the facility's ability to adhere to quarantine protocols, what makes you so sure these states will even be states after all this is done? Three, there will still be liberals in blue states, but their ability to affect your life will be greatly diminished. Issue one, will the Democratic Party emerge intact? I doubt it. If it can be proven that the Democratic Party had anything to do with using COVID to try to influence the outcome of an election, or had anything to do with foreign involvement with overthrowing a duly elected government, they're done. Finished. Like the seven Nazi organisations tried at Nuremberg, the Democratic Party will be tried and convicted as a criminal enterprise. If, and I'll say again if, the rumours and suspicions are true. Issue two, will blue states even exist after the trials? I doubt it. Did Nazi Germany survive the Allied invasion? Was a region carved out within Germany where the Nazi state was allowed to resume governing? Absolutely not. You don't give the enemy a safe haven. You accept his unconditional surrender. From 1945 to 1949, the Allied nations occupied Germany before it was split into two states, the Federal Republic of Germany, the German Democratic Republic. Most of us know these nations by their common names, West Germany and East Germany. My suspicion is that the same thing will happen in the states where COVID patients were ordered into inadequate facilities, New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Pennsylvania and California at the bare minimum. The states will be put on trial as criminal enterprises and you'll have Democrat strongholds that will be broken up into multiple states that serve their constituents better and to prevent leftist tyranny from forming again. Other states could meet this fate as well. Issue three, why will liberals not be able to affect your life living in a place like California or New York? Two reasons. First, the possibility mentioned earlier that these former democratic strongholds will be broken up into several smaller states and as a result, leftists will never elect a president again. And second, the US Constitution. I believe the US will emerge from this as a true constitutional republic where the states have more power than the federal government. But I also know that under such a system, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land and the states are held in check by the Constitution. Also remember that every state that is broken up will emerge with a clean slate. The current laws of California would not exist in the states that California's landmass would be divided because the current state of California and all of its bullshit would be no more. So too in New York, New Jersey and elsewhere. Those new states would have citizens that have been forever changed by COVID and remember the abuse they suffered at the hands of the Democrats. They would have to choose to elect people who would pass those laws again and it would take years to do so. Fat chance. Do you see how liberals would exist but their power would be neutered? What of the world? This article series has mostly focused on the United States and what I think will happen here. It's important to note that there are other countries that have people suffering under these despotic COVID policies. Australia has even gone so far as to establish concentration camps for the unvaccinated. I think a return to the rule of law will be easier in nations that have followed the US constitution model 
and idea that rights are endowed by the creator, not by government. Nations that adopt constitutional principles will recover and thrive. Those that don't will not and may face a violent revolution. Make no mistake, this brave new world will not be isolated in the United States. It will sweep the globe and usher in an era of personal liberty and freedom, as well as economic prosperity the world has never seen. A final thought. How can we prevent this from happening again? A worthy enterprise for sure, but this article has gone too long already, and so we shall save this for the epilogue. You won't want to miss this one. Until next time, slag. So, as you can tell, this has taken up the whole of the show, which was not what I'd anticipated. I must say I didn't actually time the reading of this article beforehand. But um, the other topics I wanted to cover that I mentioned at the beginning of the show are really important. So I am going to do a part two, which um, I will send to Nancy for her to put in the archives and on the podcast channel. So please stay tuned for that and um, I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode and hope you've enjoyed it. I think it's got some very interesting points in there about how this is going to pan out and I certainly hope it's true. So I hope you'll catch part two. I hope you'll join me again for another edition of uh, Cosmic Creating Show and thank you to Nancy for producing and bye for now. You have been listening to the Cosmic Creating Radio Show with Jan Shaw, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Live long and prosper.